This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 26, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. New EPA rules governing pollution from power plants would seem to disproportionately harm coal-producing states, but the rules themselves may simply be following what is likely to occur with current regulations anyway. Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, breaks down the repeated claims and the realities. There's a clear disconnect here between what actually is going to happen with respect to coal-fired power plants and what is uh, believed that is, go- is going to happen to coal-fired power plants under the Clean Air Act, under rules proposed by the EPA. And just to get some clarity here, why, to what extent does it matter that the EPA is uh, proposing these rules? One radical possibility is that it doesn't matter much at all, that in fact the rule that was proposed is basically what's going to happen anyway because of the radical change in the pricing of natural gas. And describe what that what the rule does. The rule basically sets up state based emission intensity guidelines, which is so many pounds of CO2 emissions per megawatt hour of electricity production by state. And each state has a goal for reducing that intensity from its current level to a lower level. And the the rule is 645 pages long. I'm 300 pages into it. And Basically, there's a very long, complicated um, description of how the EPA set these numbers for each particular state and why those goals are reasonable. And if you read between the lines, um, and um, over the next few weeks, I'll try to actually figure out this question, although I'm not able to precisely right now. I'll, I'll give you a flavor of, 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 of how much we've done already to, to um, comply with the proposed rules for 2030. The, the base year for this um, emissions level intensity setting is 2005. 2005 was a very good year, a very good year in the economy. We'd been booming since the late 90s, so energy use was high, electricity use was high, coal use was high, and natural gas prices were still not at their low levels. So coal use was rather high. So having the base year is 2005, and given that the recession and the change in natural gas prices that has occurred since 2005, the 30% reduction required by this rule of the electric power sector, only 7.5% is left to do between now and 2030. That is, we've already gone from 30% or of the 30% reduction required, we've already done 22.5% of it. And so we've got 7.5% to go. Now, if the economy rebounds more robustly and natural gas prices change, i.e. they go up back to previous levels or up more than we think they're going to, then this rule will bite rather severely. But if natural gas prices continue to stay low or go lower, uh, although most people don't think that's possible, um, 
then and economic growth stays uh, sadly absent, then believe it or not, the proposed reduction of 30%, we only have 7.5% to go, it's, it's not, it, it may just happen of its own accord without the rule actually altering any utilities behavior other than what they were going to do anyway. So the complaint, I mean, among senators from coal-producing states, their complaint is that this is new, essentially, that this rule is something that's just been foisted upon them. Um, again, we, we, I will remind, well, in the next few minutes, I'll describe the history that got us here. And the conclusion from that history is that once the Supreme Court made its decision in a case I'll describe in 2007, all of this was set in stone. It all had to happen. It didn't matter who was president. Um, it didn't matter who was in charge of Congress, with one exception. Congress could rewrite the Clean Air Act. It could. It has not done so since 1990, it, it, right? The Clean Air Act was 1970. There were amendments in 1977. There were amendments in 1990, and that's been it. So the court, when it deals with environmental regulations, has to read the statute as written. And ironically, um, some strict constructionists, some people on our side of, of these things argue the reason the Supreme Court did what it did in, in 2007 was because, yeah, the statute says what it says in the EPA. The Supreme Court is not going to bail out Congress and bail out us from the statute, and thus the statute says you have to do this. And you may not want to, but if you don't want to, then rewrite the statute. And surprisingly, um, whenever I hear other environmental commentary, I don't, particularly on our side, I'm surprised that no one argue, that we don't strenuously argue, as I think we should, we need to rewrite the Clean Air Act. That is the problem. It's not the courts. It's not the president. It is the way the Clean Air Act is written. It says, if it doesn't say maximize net benefits. It doesn't say do this only if it's cost effective. It says if this stuff, and it's called a pollutant, and pollutants are then defined vaguely in the law, and then the rest is left up to discretion. If something is emitted to the air and it causes any harm of any kind to any somebody somewhere, then they have standing and they can ask for redress. And the courts say, you know what? You got to give them redress. It doesn't say this this will help the economy or won't cost jobs or will even be cost effective. It just says. If this occurs, then you have to do this. There and is nothing balancing that goal. No. And, and so that is the problem. But members of Congress and, the, and I guess the electorate do not – we never want to have an adult conversation about this subject, which is how much emissions reduction is optimal, how much is too much, how much is too little, and why do you have those beliefs? And uh, it, it, you can listen to you know left of center commentary and right of center commentary, and uh, and I never hear that discussion. Let me see if I understand you correctly with respect to uh, the political complaint uh, among uh, lawmakers in coal-producing states, and that is to the extent that the economy recovers robustly and 
natural gas prices go up, this will be very troublesome for the sectors of the economy uh, in those states that are- This rule will start to bind. I mean, my hypothetical possible prediction that this rule will not bind is based on a certain rather dismal scenario for the economy and a very optimistic scenario about natural gas prices. Given others, given more economic growth, given higher natural gas prices, then the EPA rule will bind, and then it will bind only, though, on states that are coal intensive. We have this other game going on, which is states in the Northeast and the West don't use coal. And so they are the ones who actually sued the EPA to redress their grievances, saying they were harmed by the coal emissions from other areas. And the EPA said, uh, no, we don't want to do this. Then they went to the courts, and the courts said, hmm, gee, you got to do, th- you, you do this. So, so in a political balancing act, there would have been trade. So if Congress dealt with this issue, we'd have to have compensation to the coal states for losing their livelihood and losing the way they produce electricity, whereas under the courts, right, letting the courts handle it, in effect, the states that sued use natural gas or other sources for their electricity. They're not going to suffer any of the costs from this decision and its enforcement. And the costs are all going to fall in a geographically set of, of states in basically in the Midwest. And they're rebelling and they'll have and but they're a minority, right? And and so it's not clear even if in an electoral sense how this would all work out, but it wouldn't work out the way it's going to do with the court decision, which is the states that won pay nothing and the states that lose, lose everything. That No political solution would be like that, but court decisions can be. Coal is a big deal in Kentucky and uh, something that you've looked at points to this sector is unique in that the infrastructure, the plants themselves – are uniquely quite old. They're very old. And and again, Why? this doesn't Why? seem to come up in commentary on this issue. The average age of coal units in the United States, the average, the average is 42 years. 42 years old. The average age of the U.S. capital stock as a whole has varied between 14 and a half and 17 years since 1970. Right? So the, so the these coal-fired power units just stand out as being very, very, very odd. And any economist who looks at this would immediately say, hmm, something's going on here. This is not – they would replace their equipment uh, much more often, and, and why haven't they? And the answer is regulation, right? The 1977 Clean Air Act amendment said if you're a new source, you have to do all sorts of stuff to control your emissions. Old sources are covered under state ambient air quality control plans that are a completely different regulatory apparatus that the states had to deal with. And basically, old coal-fired power plants or any old uh, electric power plants of any fuel were basically exempt from emission controls. Well, as time goes on, that exemption becomes extraordinarily valuable. And so the... um, the rate at which these plants convert coal energy into megawatts of electricity is increasingly inefficient as time goes on. And 
the, the main reason is that they're old, and the reason they're old is because of this regulatory exemption that we gave them. To many legal analysts, grandfathering is okay, and politically it's very useful, right? If you're going to regulate a sector, think of the politics, right? All existing companies are exempt, and only newcomers or new capital is controlled. Well, this redistributes wealth and income from all the newcomers to, uh, to the existing capital. Existing capital votes, existing capital is organized, and all the newcomers aren't organized and, and they're not there yet. So grandfathering makes lots of political sense, and it may make some legal sense, but it's terrible as an economic concept because it sets up this arbitrage game which says you've got this privilege and no newcomer can ever get it and you've got it. And uh, anyway, from a libertarian perspective, the rule of, in my view, the rule of law is violated. If, if emissions are a problem, the age of your capital stock that's creating the emissions should have no bearing on whether uh, you are, are not regulated and what the surcharge or tax is on your behavior. It doesn't matter. It should not matter. And because we grandfathered, we've set up this game that allowed us to get into the pickle we're now in about all these old coal units hanging on uh, for, in effect, uneconomic reasons. This system also encourages those incumbents to use that energy less efficiently. I mean, they can't use it more efficiently, right? In effect, they cannot modernize. We've had also a series of court suits and, and regulatory disputes over how much modernization does or does not trigger new source performance standards. And there was lots of wiggle room and unenforcement for years. So basically, some of these plants have been transformed, but they're still old under the regular. But anyway, that game's ended. The new source performance standards are starting to take effect, even on plants that modernize and are old. So in the next 10 to 15 years, we will see the age of the capital stock of the electricity sector become much newer um, just because of the change in the way grandfathering has uh, occurred from a regulatory standpoint. And again, natural gas plants are all brand new and shiny and are taking at the margin they're, they're where investment is occurring in electricity. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.